0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. So I was at a party the other night for uh, senior adults and uh, they're always telling me jokes and this one guy, Johnny, told me about an elderly man whose wife had passed away and he wanted to remarry so he bought a gym membership thinking that if he got in better shape maybe he could lend himself a new younger wife. And so He goes to the gym and on the first day he's there, he looks across the room and sees a gal that looks pretty good to him. And so he says to the young lady at the desk, hey, what machine would I need to use to attract that lady over there to me? And she said, I would suggest the ATM machine in the hallway. I think that would work. (laughs) I, I love this time of year, probably for that reason that I get to be with you more than I do Throughout most of the year, there's lots of parties and get-togethers, and I just love getting to spend time with you guys, and if I've gotten to be with you at an event, I've been very grateful for it. And I love the season of Advent when we come together like this on Sunday morning. One of my favorite seasons to preach in. And, and I came through the door early this morning, just, just asking the Lord, what is it that you want to do today? What is it that you want to, you want to say to us? So, I wondered if you would be comfortable doing this. Would you be interested in praying a prayer? And the prayer would simply sound something like this. So, Father, as Rick shares your word today, speak through Him to me. You good with that? So, if you're comfortable with that, just bow your heads if you don't mind and just in your own thoughts, pray a prayer that goes something like that. Father, um, As Rick shares your word today, would you speak through him to me? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How familiar are you with a man who lived 72 years ago whose name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer? How many of you would say, I think I have a pretty good awareness of a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Could you just put your hand in the air pretty high? So, so here's his story. He was a he was a German, and he was a pastor, and he was a theologian. And, and And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, and you might even want to write down the title of this book. It's become an American classic, and the book was is called The Cost of Discipleship. And if you read the book, Bonhoeffer will call you to a deeper level of being a follower of Jesus. Okay. So besides being known for his theological writing, he is also remembered because he had such staunch resistance to Adolf Hitler and Hitler's Nazi dictatorship and his killing of the Jewish people. In fact, Bonhoeffer was so outspoken that in 1939, all of his friends became very concerned for his well-being. He had already been summoned to serve in the military and they believed that the day he enlisted he would probably be sent to a concentration camp. And so phone calls were made and letters were written to the United States. And there was a plan and here was the plan. Let's get Bonhoeffer to the U.S. so he can, you know, be protected. He can, he can teach at Union Theological Seminary in New York City and he can be a pastor to German refugees. And so Bonhoeffer did get on a boat And he sailed to the U.S. But every day he was in the U.S. He was miserable. Because he believed in his heart that God was calling him back to Germany. To suffer. Along beside his German brothers and sisters. And so, after one month of being in the U.S. Bonhoeffer. Leaving his personal safety, his fate and his future in the hands of God, sailed back to Germany. So you may be wondering, so what what happened? How did that go for him? Well, in 1943 he was arrested and he was put in prison and he stayed in prison for a year and a half. And after prison they moved him to a concentration camp where he lived beside the persecuted Jewish people. And in 1945, he was falsely accused of plotting to kill Adolf Hitler. And they hanged him. He was executed. Now, this is going to feel a little odd. I've already asked you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something else. If you're 39 years old, would you mind standing? Just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything but just stand and just remain standing for a minute. If you're 39 years old, would you stand? 39 years old. Is that it? Got one more? Come on. Nobody else is 39 years old. Just stay standing for a minute. So you got to look around, okay? And Drew, you guys mind turning around and just kind of nodding at people and that kind of thing? <laughs> Not that I would put you on the spot. I would never do that. But but when I look at Drew and nodding, I'm trying to figure out who else is back there. You guys are way too young to die. Way too young to die. And I want you to look in their faces because that's how old Bonhoeffer was when he died. You you can sit down. He was only 39 years old. That was it. And, And I think that we all would admit that when we hear a story about somebody, okay, who leaves in the hands of God their own safety and fate and future, knowing that they are risking their lives, but they do something because they are convinced that this is what God is asking me to do. We are all moved by that, right? And so today we're talking about another guy like that. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist left his own safety and personal fate and future in God's hands and lost his life. Doing what he believed God asked him to do. So, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. One third favor, I guess. I'm going to ask you to take out that worship folder you are given when you came in. Or a phone or something. And I'm going to ask everybody to write something down, okay? Everybody, I want you to write this down because here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want it to evaporate when we leave here today. I want you to carry this out of the room with you. And I want you to look at it throughout the week. And I want you to struggle with this question. I want you to try to answer this question throughout the week. So if you don't mind writing it down, if you don't want to write it down and you get sick and you are taken to the hospital and you want me to come and pray for you, I will still come and pray for you. But I want you to write it down, okay? I want you to write it down. So if you'll write this down because I don't want it to evaporate, I want you to take it with you when you leave here today. And here's what I want you to write down. I'll say it slowly so you can get it all down, okay? What if... What if... It became less... About me... What if it became less about me... And more about... Me pointing people... To Jesus? What if it became less about me and more about me pointing people to Jesus? So what I'm asking is, what if I didn't spend my whole life on me, but I invested my life in other people? What, what, what if I just said, you know what, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life on me, but I'm going to invest the rest of my life in other people. And my life is going to become less about me and more about pointing people to Jesus. Now, do you mind looking at me for a minute, if, if you can, if you're still writing, it's okay. But if you can look at me, how how do you feel about that statement? Do you respond to that or do you react to that? Is there anybody with an emotional reaction? Come on, Rick, seriously, you're going to do this? You see, here's my struggle. I cannot get past the fact that Jesus has made it really clear that he wants you and me to put others first. And he wants us to make disciples out of others. He wants us to share Jesus with others. I can't get past that. I can't avoid the truth and the reality of those statements. Jesus wants us to put others first and tell others about him. So, in the Gospel of John chapter one, we read about this guy who spent his life saying it's not about me, but he pointed people to Jesus. And here's what it says in verse six, John one, verse six. Now there was a man sent a man sent from God whose name was John. So John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist, OK? He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Now that light he's referring to is Jesus. So that through him all might believe. He himself, meaning John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So drop down to verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer that we can take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And here was his response. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, talking about Jesus, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the Word of God. So a few weeks ago, I I was here in this room for the inauguration of the 15th president of Southern Nazarene University, Dr. Keith Newman. So Southern Nazarene University is next door to us. And during his inauguration address, and then over the next couple of days in Board of Trustees meetings, Dr. Newman introduced this idea. Okay, this, this phrase, this, this way of thinking, this way of living. Here's what he said. What if we all made a decision to live last? So instead of making myself first, what if I made everybody else first and I put myself last? What if I put everybody else in front of me? And he quotes this verse of Jesus. This is what Jesus said, okay? In, 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 in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So who wants to be first? I want to be first. Okay, then you go to the very back of the line. And I don't mean back in the line. I mean the very back of the line. And you serve everybody else That's what greatness looks like. And so Dr. Newman just said, what if, what if? I mean, what if that was our distinctive as a university? I mean, some schools are known for their music program. Some schools are known because of whatever they have. What if Southern Nazarene University was known as a school that raises up servant leaders? I like it. Now, now here's why I think it's important that we talk about what we're talking about today. And that is this, that you and I fight this every day of our lives. This is part of our sinful nature. This is part of the fact that we were born in sin. We call it original sin. Because you and I struggle every day of our lives to say, no, not not others first. It's me first. I deserve it. I need to take care of me. I need to watch out for myself. I need to do something for me. And, and I don't know when there's a season of the year that it's more prevalent than now. Because we were raised with one question. What do you want for Christmas, right? And so Christmas somehow became all about me. What I want. What I get. What I experience. What I get to do. And, and now as they get older, you know what I think about? What am I going to get myself for Christmas? how sad is that but that's where we are so here's what happens with John the Baptist interrogators come because John is a priest so you know when I was 19 I felt like God was saying he wanted me to do what I'm doing right now to preach Hard to explain that. Hard to hard to really, you know, help you see how, how it's also subjective, I know, but I felt it with everything in me that I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to preach. You know, and, and I think about, you know, got lots of young people over here, and I wonder, is God, are you going to say something like that to one of these guys or gals that like this is what you want for their life one day? Because for me it just seemed unusual. Everybody else was doing what seemed like more normal careers, and I was going to go do this thing that was kind of unusual. For John, it wasn't that way. John was a priest because he was born a Levite. And if you were born into the Levite tribe, you were a priest. His father, Zechariah, was a priest, and his father was a priest, and his father was a priest, and his father was a priest. And if John would have had sons, they would have been priests. And if they would have had sons, they would have been priests. And so we expect the religious leaders to show up, right, and begin to question John about his behavior. Why are you doing these things that you're doing? Because he was baptizing Jews, and you didn't baptize Jews, you baptized Gentiles. When they wanted to convert to Judaism, and you baptized them as a symbol of leaving their polluted life of sin. And John comes in and says, I know you're the people of God, but you've got sin in your life. You should be baptized, And he preaches this baptism of repentance. And last week we had a long talk about sin. And it may be that you went home last week. And you got honest with yourself about the sin in your life. And you feel a heaviness today that you still need to repent of unforgiven sin. And so John says to these Jewish people, I know we baptize Gentiles. You need to get baptized because you've been living in sin. A baptism of repentance of sin. Now what we did not expect was John's posture. Are you the Messiah? No, no I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? Because they thought Elijah would come back before the Messiah. No, I'm not Elijah. Are you a prophet? No, I'm not. It would have been easy for him to have said, well, I kind of look like a prophet, don't you think? I mean, what, what would have been the big deal if John just for a little bit would have just taken center stage and said, yeah, I'm probably a prophet. I think I sound like a prophet. But he never did take any of that. Just no, no, I'm, I'm really nobody. And then there's this story. Do you know this story? Do you know the story about one day... John's disciples come to him okay and they say hey John you know the guy that you've been testifying about Jesus well he started baptizing people and guess what John not good everybody is going to him to be baptized John we used to be the biggest show in town man everybody was coming to us and now they're going to Jesus and you know what John says He must become greater, and I must become less. He must become greater, and I must become less. In fact, he said, I am not worthy to get down on my knees in front of this man and unstrap his sandals, which was the job of a slave. I'm not I'm not worthy to become the slave to Jesus. And here's what he does. He confronts what is dominant in his culture and what is dominant in your culture. And that is self-promotion. I'd like a little recognition if I could get it if you don't mind around here. I've done some pretty neat things that I would like for you to set up and take notice, you know. I'd like a little pat on the back. I'd like an attaboy along the way, if you don't mind. I'd like to be elevated a little bit, promoted for my accomplishments, if that's okay with everybody. I would love a little promotion along the way. And because of our fallen nature, we want to be first. None of us want to stand in the back of the line. What if, what if it was less about me and more about pointing people to Jesus? So we're going to have to talk about that whole thing of pointing people to Jesus. Um, I, I think that to be a good pastor, there's times that I just need to sit down and talk to you about what God is doing in me, and what God is saying to me, and where God is leading me. Okay? So this is one of those conversations. You up for it? Okay. So here's what's going on. Um, I feel like God has given me a vision for this church. And I feel like we must find a way to give ourselves fully to helping people come to know Jesus. And all of us together becoming more like Jesus. And so when I think about helping people come to know Jesus, I think in our, stru- in our culture, the, the best strategy is, is living with our arms open. So here's, here's the deal. You've got to hear me. I'm not talking about where you just, you know, have this cheap invitation to inviting somebody to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about opening your arms to somebody and letting them in your life and becoming friends with that person and spending time with them over coffee or over a meal or in your home and having real-life conversations and and truly becoming friends with people. And, and, And when we do that, most of the time, we don't ever have to talk about Jesus to them. They will bring it up to us. They'll figure out we're Christian. And most of the time, you don't even have to invite them to your church. They end up just saying one day... Maybe I should go to your church with you once you truly have opened your arms to that person. If we ever stop living like this, okay, and we start living like this, I believe that is the answer for the people that God brings into our lives today. And I think it's the only answer, okay? So, my wife and I talk about it, Annette, all the time, and we pray about it, and we want to be better at living with our arms open. And I've told you, you know, just being honest with you, that, that I, I don't feel like that I'm, I'm the best at living this way, but I want to be great at living this way. I want, I want to help people come to know Jesus. And so, um, over the last couple of months, I've been going through uh, this thought process, and, and I realized that... Um, That when I do things like lose weight, Um, so recently I got to this place of, well, you need to lose 10 pounds or you got to buy clothes. Make up your mind. It's one of the two. And so I decided I would give it a shot at losing a few pounds. And so what I realized about losing some weight was that the reason I think I was successful is because I wrote down literally everything I ate for about four weeks. Everything I ate, wrote it down. Kept it in my phone. I tracked. And so I've also noticed that when I want to do better in managing money, uh, that if I track spending, that I do much better managing money. And, and if I pay more attention to, uh, to my budget, I do much better. So I'm just tracking everything that I do. And, and I've noticed that, that that makes a huge difference. And I actually save money when I track better, okay? And so I begin to ask the question, what about, what if I tracked this. What if I tracked living with my arms open? What if, what if I wrote every day about trying to share Jesus with others, help others come to know Jesus? And so I was praying about it and I was having conversations with some of you probably about it. And, uh, and, and, and I was moving in that direction. And one day I went to a lunch and at the lunch, somebody said, there's a gift for you in the middle of the table. And it was this. It's a journal. I like it because it's read. It tells me that it's urgent. It's important. And so I decided that I was going to start. When I saw the journal as a gift, I said, okay, I'm doing it tomorrow. I'm starting. And so the next morning I got up and I prayed this prayer. God, if you will bring somebody into my life today and give me the ability to recognize it. I will open my arms to that person. That's what I wrote in my journal. And I took off on the day. And I want you to know that only a few hours into that day, I had this thought standing in front of a young woman. And I felt that God was putting that thought in my mind. I felt God was speaking to me. And it was just simply these words. There she is. And I stood there looking at that young woman, thinking to myself, you know what? I think that's her. I think that's who I am supposed to open my arms to today. And so to the best of my ability, I just tried to be kind and warm and inviting and Jesus in any way that I could in that situation. And the next day, I found myself in a situation later in the day with a man standing in front of me and I felt like God said, that's him. And I remember thinking, you know, I think that's right. And I came home and the next morning I would get up every morning. I would write about it, just a very small paragraph, probably not even legible for most of you to read my writing. I would just write about whatever I felt like God was saying to me. I would pray for them and I would ask God, what is the next step? And after a few days, I had nobody to come into my life. It felt... Strange, and I, and I was meeting with David Bond, who is, who is my accountability partner in this process. And I said to David, it's like I've kind of gone dry for a few days. It's like God's not bringing somebody new. And, and as David and I talked and we prayed together, I felt like God was saying, well, what about those people I've been bringing into your life? What are you going to do with them? What are the next steps to truly open your arms to them and make time and space for them in your life? I said, Lord, I think I hear you. I think that's what you're asking me to do. And I began to do that. And I would flip back through the other days and I would say, okay, Lord, today here's what I think I can do. And I want you to know that after several weeks, I am having, listen to me, okay, faith conversations with people who do not profess to be Christian. When I talk to people about life and faith and they say to me no i'm i'm not am not a christian i've never asked jesus to forgive me of my sins or i'm not following i'm having faith conversations with people like that and you say rick what why are you doing that because that's who i want to be and the reason i want to be that person is because that's what jesus calls me to be rick what if it became less about you And what if it became more about pointing people to Jesus? And so, if you ask me, Rick, who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? That's what I want to one day be able to say about myself. I am a person who is continually moving in a direction that says, it is less about me and it is more about pointing people to Jesus. I think it's an awesome question to ask. And that's what they asked John the Baptist. John, who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? And so, if I said to you, would you just look me in the eye for a couple of seconds and let me ask you the question, who are you and what do you have to say about yourself? How would you define yourself? How would you describe who you are and what your life is about and what your purpose is? And what your goals are? And who do you want to be? And what if God brought us to a place that we said... Every day I'm moving in a direction that says it is less about me and it is more about pointing people to Jesus. Wow. Well, I'd never lived until I moved here over five years ago in a town where every day at noon you heard sirens going off. I mean, the first few days we were here, we were like, you know, what's up, you know. But I'm glad we have sirens at noon because of. The tornadoes that visit us often here in Oklahoma, right? And you know what John says? That's who I am. I'm like a siren, you know. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Get yourself ready because God is going to do something new. You know, for some of us, it's a major shift in the way we live our lives every day. I mean, some of you are looking at me right now, and you have attended church most of your lives, some of you. Some of you have been newer to church, but you're saying, Rick, if I actually begin to live my life, that it became less about me and more about pointing Jesus people to Jesus and opening them up, that would be a huge shift for me. That would be a totally other way to live my life. I don't live my life that way right now. I can't get over Bob Goff's words. The love does, Bob Goff. He said, one day, I realized that I have spent most of my life Spent most of my life trying to avoid the same kind of people that Jesus spent most of his life trying to engage. One day I realized that I had spent most of my life trying to avoid the very same kind of people that Jesus spent most of his life trying to engage. All right, let me, let me wind down and bring this home, okay? Do you know what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ have in common? Not only did they all give their lives for a cause that was greater than themselves, it cost them their lives while they were still in their 30s. None of them saw 40. Jesus and John the Baptist died 2,000 years ago. Bonhoeffer died 72 years ago. And we're still talking about them. Because one day they faced a question that said, What if it's less about me More about others and the greatest need in their life. So, if I just spent the rest of my life not on me, but if I invested in others, what would God do through me? Wow. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know this morning. I, I, I'd love to, to say to you, you've got a lot of life in front of you, most likely. What are you going to do with it? Um, you might be saying, how? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if a journal is for you. It, it's something that, that I'm, I'm doing, but I'm, be honest with you, I'm just trying to do anything at this point in my life. Some of you have been building relationships with people. Because you really do care about people. And you really do want it to be less about you and more about pointing people to Jesus. But you, like me, live in a culture that says, no, you deserve it. And we live with that tension and we fight that struggle. But you truly have been living in relationship with people who don't know Jesus. Would you... Would you take this card out that you were given when you came in? Do you have one of those? Did you get one when you came in? Would you take it out? That would be the fourth favor I've asked of you today. Uh, would you take it out? And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, to hold it in the air like this. Would you do that? Just put it up in the air. I know. And if you don't, I'll still come and pray for you if you go to the hospital. But I'd like for you to hold it up in the air. Okay. high in the air. And and I'm going to pray for you. Okay, God, you have brought people into our lives that we truly know. And many of us have opened our arms to those people, and they need you. They need hope. They don't profess to be Christian. Would you help us, Lord, to find the words and the way to invite them to come? open our arms to them and say, just come and sit by me on Christmas Eve. And whether they can come on Saturday night or Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, Lord, just give us the grace to say, come with me. Let's do something meaningful together on Christmas Eve. And I pray this in Jesus' name.